We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. The hedge fund world is cold. The exchange-traded fund world is hot. Both are turning to technology in a changing landscape. We're continuing our series on technology and high finance. Sarah Krause and Rob Copeland have written separate stories in this series. Stephen Grosser, how are you? I'm doing very good, Paul. How are you doing? I, I'm doing all right, my friend. I'm doing all right. You know, one of the nice things about being an editor here is you actually get to read the stories ahead of time. And, and one of the things, Rob, that stuck out to me about your story is the whole idea that the great man investing theory for, uh, for hedge funds is sort of dead, but also long live the great man theory of <laughs> hedge funds. Exactly, exactly. So for this story, I spent some time in Evanston, Illinois, with uh, Alec Litowitz and the team over at Magnetar Capital. And you, you didn't get more great man theory than him. He spent his career at Citadel, which is Ken Griffin's super famous Chicago shop. He made a ton of money there. He has a famous wine cellar and the usual you know, millionaire eccentricities. And he starts his own firm, Magnetar, about 12 years ago. And what's what Alec will say very forthright is what worked in the past is not going to be what works in the future. And so what are they doing now? What are they trying to um, sort of piece together? What have they done so far? Thank you for that layup, Sarah. Anytime. I think a huge part of the transformation of the firm is quantitative investing, and they have a very different approach to it than you might have read about in Flash Boys or, uh, or heard about Renaissance Technologies, these other high-speed firms. Magnetar has a much more manual approach. Alec and his team will say, we've built up all these theories about how to trade around mergers and acquisitions and all other corporate events. We'll make algorithms of those ideas, but we want to know exactly what what we're modeling there. And uh, and so it's a little less of a black box and maybe more uh, more of a you know halfway there. And so what did they do to put that all together? Because a lot of this was actually creating their own database, right? Exactly, exactly. So they created their own database of their own rules. They also hired a bunch of computer scientists from from China, and they have all these offices now. And it's not just in in Evanston. And the whole idea essentially is that it's not just Alec or one other person there making decisions. It's it's really an automated computer program. And when we were talking about your trip, you said that the lay of the land there was a bit quieter than what you might expect to see at the like the old school sort of trading floor where there's lots of sort of shouting and phone calls and all of that. What did you perceive when you were visiting them? Exactly. And it's super interesting because Magnetar and Alec, this is a guy who does triathlons, who he's happy to tell you stories about, you know, his nine day bike race where on you know, day 8.5, he couldn't feel his hands, um, but he pushed through. Anyway, this is this is not a low-key guy, and I say that I say that in the the most respectful way. the 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 offices, honestly, are they're they're almost silent in in a way. They're they're not, you know, necessarily writing on the whiteboards every two seconds and screaming at each other. It's it's almost like a well, it's silent. I think most people understand that computers are used in trading these days, and you know, everyone has them, but. You know, you say it's different, but I mean, is it is it is it that different? Is it really that different? Their approach to it. I mean, can you just go into a little more detail about that? About how how exactly is it so different from what every other fund is doing? Well, it's different and it's the same, right? The great man theory, the idea that there is a true genius, a billionaire in many cases, who has who knows exactly what to pick 
and knows what stocks are going to go up and stocks are going to go down. There's still a great man theory, but the great man in this case is a great algorithm. And investors still want this idea that they have a a uh, a very talented manager, and that they're willing to pay, frankly, top dollar for it. But in in this case, the manager isn't an individual. the The manager is a uh, is is the firm at whole. Essentially, they're using computers to back up the great man theories that usually would have driven an investor. Like you know, he has a gut reaction; he's going to put the money uh, here. Now they're using sort of the data that they can now call using powerful computers to sort of back up those ideas. And nobody wants to hear at this point that you you have one talented trader who knows yeah. everything. Look at Steve Cohen. You didn't get to be a more powerful trader than that. And, and look how that ended. He uh, The firm pled guilty to criminal insider trading. What investors do want to hear is, hey, it's not just uh, it's not just me. I have a whole process, and it's actually transparent in its its own way. If you could if you could understand it, frankly, if you can look at the algorithms, and uh, it's a winning pitch right now. And the, well, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit is price. So we see a lot of this in the mutual fund world, where more firms are are sort of moving to a more systematic process and trying to use factors to drive you know to whittle it down to the factors and use that to drive returns. They have used it in some cases a way to shave prices, where it sounds like what you're saying in the hedge fund world is that you can still pay the same old fees for this, right? Two things. First of all, a little Wall Street Journal backstory here. At one point, this series was actually called The Factors, which uh, which was shot out of a cannon very, very quickly <laughs> after that was pitched. Um, was it your idea, Rob? Is that that was, I'm, there's absolutely no comment. You can talk to my PR representative <laughs> about that one. And you're absolutely right. The, the perverse thing here is that while mutual funds and ETFs might use this to lower costs, in many cases, hedge funds use this to raise prices. They say, hey, if you just want our old school ideas, I guess you can have that for a 1% management fee, maybe a 10% performance fee. But, you know, if we have to spend all this money on the technology and the computers and we're competing there with Google, then you really need to be paying us actually more than before. There's uh, There are several firms that they charge a 3% annual management fee, a, a over wow. 30% incentive. I know, we don't want to get We can really talk about the 2 and 20. Right, which is the standard was always 2 and 20, right? 2% management fee, 20% of profits. Right, right. So but, they're charging a lot more than that. And I think they're probably justified in some extent. If you, if you want to fight with Google over the best software engineer, maybe you do need to pay that, but wow. uh, there's plenty left so, over. So yeah. it's almost like, so now that the pitch is... Behind every great man, there's a great computer telling him if he's actually great. That sounds like a Terminator series, but yes. That, that'll be the next series. <laughs> um, you know, I wonder, you know, we, we talked about the, the hedge fund industry. It's gone through a lot of changes. They, they've gotten a lot of, of bad press, basically for poor returns. I mean, have they have, – have these new sort of computerized techniques, have they, do they have enough of a track record that we know if this is actually good for the industry or not? Well, there is a track record of, of computer-driven strategies and hedge funds, and the pattern is that every 10 years they blow up spectacularly. <laughs> well, that was my question. How does this really differ from you know, right. long-term uh, capital management yeah. in you know, the late 90s, uh, what they're trying to do? It's completely different, and it's not, it's not different at all. At and, and the end of the day, you know, if all of these programs are essentially doing the same thing, then you're, you will see another, another major pullback. Any expert will, will tell you that. What the funds will say is that they're building, as they call it, uncorrelated in investment strategies, and uh, I guess we'll just have to see. The other question too is like you—you you saw a quant back in you know in the '90s pulling a lot of data in and looking at historical discrepancies in prices. Is that altogether that different than what you see a magnetar doing today? No, 
there is since the since the beginning of of Wall Street essentially right every strategy is strategy. is trying to find discrepancies <laughs> right in in prices and uh, and trying to do it better than the person next door. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. We will come back when we come back. Uh, another way in that the fun world is using technology, kind of kind of surprising, right, Sarah Cross? A little bit, sure. A little bit, sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. We'll talk about that next. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio today with Wall Street Journal reporters Sarah Krauss and Rob Copeland talking about their series that they participated in, a new journal series called The Quants. And Sarah, the story you wrote, I sort of tried to tease it at the end of the last segment. They're saying it's a little surprising. I think what's surprising about it is that when most people think of, uh, you know, Wall Street and technology, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Rob's story in the segment before. It's how can I use technology to, to, you know, find the discrepancies in the market, to find the inefficiencies and profit off it. But what you wrote about is really a very different way that they're also using technology. Sure. So I think, you know, when we talk about Wall Street and algorithms and quants, we're, we're thinking more of the application to the investing process, right. which you've definitely right. seen both from hedge funds and mutual funds. Um, what my story is about is an effort at BlackRock to apply that in the advertising world. So um, in the programmatic ad buying world, ads trade on exchanges, sort of like stocks in that sense. Um, and what BlackRock is trying to do is use sentiment data, social media feeds, uh, linguistic analysis to determine when to sort of ramp up their buying and selling of ads so that when investor appetite turns, they're there faster with their advertisements for their ETFs. Um, so ETFs have been a really fast-growing portion of the money management world, and while hedge funds have sort of suffered, um, they have seen uh, tremendous growth. And so the competition for new assets in that space has gotten even greater, um, and this is one way that BlackRock is trying to get in front of some of the money that's moving in that direction. How do they determine the sentiment and what ad to show you. So, for example, they partnered with WPP, uh, the big advertising firm, but they use a number of different feeds, one of which is a firm called Icentium, um, which does sentiment analysis of the Twitter sort of fire hose. Um, so, for example, when Donald Trump tweets, um, they start to score the sentiment of the other tweets that react to it. Um, so that's one way that they get a sense of sort of what's happening on the ground and trying to get a sense of, okay, if investors or if on social media people are feeling positively, then we should serve them this or we should, you know, ramp up our spending on that. It's sort of like, I think of it almost like a surfer trying to catch a wave and they're using these signals to determine when to paddle so that they get the the furthest motion. So the, the idea almost is that you are, as an individual investor, say you're sitting at home, you know, you're looking at whatever you look at when you're at home, you know, and, and you're thinking about your investments and what, and they're like, for them, I guess the ideal thing is to catch that moment where somebody says, Ooh, look at what's going on in the world. I should buy a security that reflects what's going on so I can pro- – and then bang, an ad pops up for a BlackRock product that you could buy. Right. And so the, what happens today is a number of different fund firms and any kind of company really will say, OK, this person is reading an article on Japan. Let's advertise our Japanese fund um, for BlackRock right. ahead of the um, UK vote or the Brexit vote. They advertised an unhedged ETF that invested in UK stocks 
afterwards they switched it over to a hedged version of that. So there's already this like if this then that type right. of thing that's occurring, but they're trying to move it one step further so that they sort of get an earlier read on where people might be prepared to spend. When money. you're targeted to actually be buying, right? Right. Like they want to land. If you're starting to feel bullish on financials, they want their financials ETF. And and, and that's amazing in the yeah. in the Brexit example. I mean like not only the event, but the way the event turned out, they have products that can, that are, you know, geared to shift the, even even that granular. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that's not super uncommon. Like any firm ahead of something like that will scenario plan and say, okay, if it goes this way, then we want to make sure we're out in front with this message, and if not, you know, yeah. then we want something else. Um, but I would say that the where it's a little more unique is trying to be smarter about when and how to spend money because as as advertiser demand for um, that sort of space on a wallstreetjournal.com, on an ft.com, you know, as you're bidding for that space, you want to be ahead of the pack in terms of when you actually spend that money. Sarah, would you say that you write about the dumb money, first of all? I have a two-part question. I absolutely do not write only, about the dumb a, money, Rob. Only okay, a second, hedge fund reporter would say that. Second question. Yes or no, Just please. hedge funds that, are beaten that, down. That, you don't have to By the way, that, that's me. offensive. That's an offensive <laughs> question, Rob. I, w- I would point out that... Yeah. You, you will know, not the, be asked back. ETFs, <laughs> are, ETFs are pretty much beaten hedge funds. Yeah, talk about dumb money. Let's define dumb money. But is there anything dumber than making it easier for people to make split Second decisions based on what some wave that came over their Twitter feed that hey I just saw four tweets about Donald Trump and now there's an ad that says bet on U.S. stocks let me do it right now with my retirement money I mean this is Sarah how do you sleep selling the things I'm not the one selling them and second of all um, I would say to keep in mind that there are a number of different types of investors out there some of whom are active day traders other of whom are buy and hold long term investors so I would parse that um, you know are there dangers to people having a knee jerk reaction and buying something just because it flashes in front of their face sure like there is a degree of investor sort of analysis education and actual like due diligence on funds that should occur and I mean also keep in mind in the sheer logistics of the way ads work you don't get to like click on an ad and buy an ETF it's not like you go to DSW and can buy a pair of shoes like it takes a little there's a few more steps before you can actually execute a trade like that one question I have do they have a put all your money in cash run for the hills ad (laughs) not that I've seen because I'm waiting for that day I know Paul Paul's been in that day for like years now if they do have that ad it will be attached to every post I write on Moneybeat yeah well I would say that's also like right there on the right rail it's like the walking dead group that's also sort of the difference in asset management advertising compared to a lot of other sort of retail purchases that you would buy where it's like you click through and you get what you want. And adver- in, in asset management, a lot of times it's it's a longer term decision. Do I want to park my money there for 20 years? Do, do I want this just for today? You know, there's, there's a little bit of a different time horizon in the decision making. Yeah, it, it is interesting, though, now that you mentioned that, that your caustic refer- references, uh, Rob, to dumb money make me wonder, you know, like it's interesting in, in both your stories, you're talking about different aspects of the, the finance world. And the way that they attract people. I mean, you're, you're talking about them doing it through ads that immediately will kind of hopefully, you know, penetrate into their brain what they're thinking at that minute. You, you know, Rob, the the sort of the the what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Like the, the appeal with them is, you know, we're hedge funds. We know better than everybody else. Give us so much money. Because we're going to make you so much money. I mean, both of them, you're sort of appealing to a certain sort of brainwave in people. But, you know, is it really smart to give somebody 30% of your profits and a 3% management fee? Is it really smart to buy something on the spur of a moment? I mean, what is dumb money and smart money in the markets? Well, there is something dystopian about this whole 
idea, right? That if all the all the research in the world that Jason Zweig, our great colleague, writes this column, what appears to be every, every week, week. And it's, <laughs> yeah, right, right. it's true every week, is that people tend to make poor active investment decisions. So to, I could one could argue that if hedge funds are trying to make fewer day-to-day active decisions, perhaps that's a good thing. One could argue, of course not me, that if, uh, if day traders are trying to make more and more split-second decisions, that's a bad thing. Uh, you, there is a body of research, though, that that does say that the best thing to do is is nothing. Mm. I was, and you know, to your point about what happens within hedge funds. I mean, at least in the mutual funds that I've seen, a lot of the warnings that come with the quant funds is, hey, there may be more portfolio turnover here than in a typical fund. This isn't, you know, like a, a park it and leave it thing all the time in terms of the investment strategies that are employed. I would also say, if you read Jason's column that came out early, not this week's column, but early one about Amazon, what is it, like 20 stocks over the last like close to 100 years, like, you know, 75 years, have driven the vast majority of returns? So basically, right, right. like, the market, if you get rid of those stocks, the market is down. Uh, okay. Let me just ask both of you guys, uh, where do these trends go? If you can kind of project out or if you've talked to, to folks, like, where do these trends take take this world of finance? I mean, in my world on the ETF side, there's still a lot of experimentation going on with the best way to compete for capital. So as it relates to advertising and trying to get the retail investor to, you know, sort of click and buy, that that's still a sort of um, experimental area. I would say in the mutual fund world, there are many more firms that are launching quant strategies. I mean, even BlackRock itself just overhauled part of its active equity business. They weren't shooting the lights out in some of their stock picking strategies. So they moved some of them to quant strategies, stripped out some of the costs, and, and we'll see how that plays out. That's still very much in the but early days. You you look at the rise of you know quant funds right now, um, just in terms of the amount of money they've attracted. I mean, are we getting to the point where we're seeing a top in sort of investing in, in quants, or is this going to keep... Well, I would say... I mean, and I think this is probably a separate question, because like, I don't think the technology that is underlying you know a lot of this is going anywhere. It's just going to keep adding, but... Well, the great fortunes, people not just in hedge funds or really anywhere on Wall Street have been made with contrarian ideas. So to the extent that everyone is doing this, I think there's there's probably money to be made on, on the other side. And you are seeing at least hedge fund managers increasingly say, if we see these big swings where everyone is investing in the same types of, of technology, I, I want to be on the other side of that for the ultimate unwind. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I mean, certainly in the asset management world, we're more at the beginning of this than anywhere close to a top in terms of the new products launched. I mean, take even smart beta products. I was talking hedge funds, mainly, okay. just because the flow, the flow so of money. You don't, you don't care funds. about the, the No, no. I, I, I mean, I, I think, and I also mean? think it's two separate <laughs> things because I, I think, you know, undoubtedly technology and lowering people costs is going to increase going forward. How much technology changes the fund industry, both hedge funds, you know, ETFs and mutual funds is just going to grow. All right. Sarah Krauss, Rob Copeland, good stories from both of you. Thank you for coming on and spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.